Good morning. Yeah, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of preaching here at uh, Sojourn Heights, as he said. Uh, we're in a series on the book of Job. And Job is part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is uh, the Bible that comes before Jesus. And in the book of Job, it deals with some of life's most complex and perplexing questions. And it has this um, driving question that it's asking is, um, is God just in a world of injustice? And so it seeks to answer that question following the story of a man named Job as he has a series of conversations with some friends of his. Um, and today we hit another one. And so let's, um, let's get started. Uh, last, Friday, uh, last Friday, I had my 20-year high school reunion. Uh, and so uh, I feel incredibly old right now. Uh, but while I was at the reunion, I saw an, uh, a high school friend, a guy named Rick. Uh, Rick Barker was actually his name. Uh, we saw each other across the room. Uh, we walked up and we did the, the bro hug, right, which is hand and then arm like this because at a reunion you can't do the, hey man, come hold me kind of hug. Uh, that would just be weird. Uh, and so uh, he asked me, uh, first question, hey man, what do, you, what do you do? I haven't seen you in forever. What do you do? And I said, man, I pastor a church. And he said, get the blank out, man. You get... Oh, blank. I just said blank. I'm so sorry, man. I, uh, I don't know what happens to me, which... Um, as, a, as a pastor, that's a fairly common reaction, right? You play golf with somebody, nine holes in, they say, hey, what do you do for a living? I pastor at church. Like, I'm so sorry, man. I don't know why I've been talking like this the whole time. I, I'm just really, just comes over me. It's just, golf does it to me. Uh, here's, here's my point. For, for Rick, uh, for Rick, religion equals morals. This is what this interaction reveals, Religion equals morals, right? When he thinks of Christianity, here's what he thinks of Christianity. He thinks Christianity is about live this way and I'm good, live this way and I'm not. And I, I know some of you are going to be tempted right now to think, well, I'm, I'm guessing he's probably not a Christian. That's why he, he believes that. I am. I don't believe that, so I'm good. That probably doesn't apply to me. Not true. Not true. This is the fundamental undercurrent of humanity, and in a minute I'm going to prove it. No, but for right now, let me say, this is, this is the reality that Job is responding to. He's responding to a friend, a man named Eliphaz. Eliphaz is a moralist. What it means is, is he believes that good people get good things, bad get bad things, and that you, um, you get what you deserve. And so Eliphaz answers the question, is God just in a world of injustice like this? Of course. Of course he is. You get what you deserve. Hey, Job, I know you're hurting, man. I know you're hurting, but listen, you get what you deserve. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, um, Eliphaz, he says, remember, this is him speaking to Job. Remember, who, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Hey, hey Job, this is your boy Eliphaz. I know you're hurting right now. Man, I know you've lost your kids, your family, your career, your health. I know you've lost it all. Your wife has turned on you. But what'd you do? What'd you do? Man, the innocent don't perish. This doesn't happen if you don't deserve it. What'd you do? And to this, Job, uh, a hurting man longing for comfort, is going to respond. And so let's look at it. Verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? If I could just sort of summarize this introduction here by Job, this is what he's saying to his friends, um, or at least Eliphaz right here. Hey, man, you're not any good at this. Like, 
I'm sure you've got some spiritual gifting, but comfort's not it, right? In fact, the, the word, when he says miserable comforters, um, that's a Hebrew play on words that says, hey, the more you speak, the more pain you inflict. Hey, Eliphaz, stop talking. The more you speak, the more pain I feel. Stop talking. And if I could maybe paint a picture of what this, what's happening here. Um, some of you in this room, you don't have to imagine suffering, right? Some of you have been through significant and real suffering in your likely very young life. From miscarriages, infertility, losing a parent far too young. You, you name it, some of you, health issues that just will not go away, that make it hard to get out of bed some mornings. But for most of us, significant and serious suffering is something we have to imagine. So let's imagine together, um, let's imagine together uh, that you've just been diagnosed with cancer. And it's a terminal cancer. You've got six to eight weeks to live. They've just told you this. <coughs> You're in a hospital room. I walk into your hospital room um, and I sit there for an hour. I don't really say anything. You, 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 you feel uncomfortable. You're waiting on me to speak. And when I do speak, this is what I say. Hey, what unconfessed sin caused this? Come on. You, this doesn't happen if you don't deserve it. What would you do? That's what his friends are doing to Job. And that's why Job is saying, you're, you're not good at this. The more you speak, the more pain I feel. Let's keep reading. He keeps going. It says now, Job in verse 4 turns to, hey, this is how I would respond, guys. This is, this is what I would do. I could also speak as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. But join words and shake my head, that's uh, idioms for comfort and sympathy. Right? It, it doesn't, it's not, hey, I would just, I can't believe what you did over there. It's comfort, sympathy. There's five, I could assuage, or I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. If my saying, if the roles were reversed, I may or may not say what you're saying, but I certainly would say what I said with a lot more sympathy and a lot more comfort uh, than, than you have uh, I, I would engage your pain. I would step into your pain. I wouldn't simply theologize your pain, which is what he feels like is happening here. Right? It's like if I, if I said to you, uh, hey, man, I'm really just struggling being single right now. If I said that, it would be incredibly weird. Um, I'm married. We have a fourth kid on the way. Um, but if I said, hey, I'm just, str- I'm just struggling being single right now, and you sat down and just said, you know, let me, let me tell you why you are. It's because you're just discontent. Um, and if you just loved Jesus more and you were more satisfied in him, you would be unsatisfied with life. Um, completely unhelpful. It'd be completely unhelpful. Um, the words I said may, may be true for you. But the way that I said it would be completely unhelpful. He, he's saying to them, trying to say to them, hey, hey guys, listen, I... I feel like when you're engaging and responding to me right now, you're treating my suffering like a formula, right? Add this, subtract this, like it's, a, like it's a math problem. Add some sin, subtract some faith, equals a solution. So Job feels engaging his friends or his friends are engaging him. But now he gets really honest in verse 6 and says, it doesn't really matter what you say, it's not going to help anyway. Verse 6, if I speak, my pain is not assuaged, and if I forbear how much of it leaves me. Here's what Job is trying to say. Here's this, this point. I want, I want y'all to 
feel Job right now. I don't want you to understand Job. I want you to feel Job right now. My kids have died. Ten kids. Gone. I was Bill Gates, and now I'm broke. But that doesn't even matter, because my wife turned on me. There are no words that take away this pain. There are no words that just take away the pain that I feel right now. So go ahead, friends. Don't even matter. If you've ever been in Job's shoes, and there's going to be a day when you are, here's what you're going to want. You're going to want someone who loves you that's willing to just sit next to you and cry with you. But what you don't want is someone to crack out Romans and walk through a theology of your suffering while you're bawling. There's a time and a place to open up Romans and walk through a theology of suffering. And in that moment, it's just not that. It's not it. So Job opening, opens up 16 with this man in search of compassion, unable to find it because his friends believe you deserve what you get. You get what you deserve. And so now... In verse 7, he turns his frustration from his friends to the Lord, which at some point is something we all have to do when we're in the middle of it. Verse 7. Verse 7. Surely now God has worn me out. He has made me desolate, all my company. And he has shriveled me up, which is a witness against me. And my leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. Let me pause. So, uh, ancient Near East, back in the day, uh, they didn't esteem being skinny, right? We esteem being skinny today. I, uh, on Twitter, I follow this eat this, not that um, thing. Not, I don't follow any of their rules. I just read it so I can feel guilty about myself. Um, but I've never seen a dude on there that didn't have a six-pack. Like, they've never flashed a guy like me um, on eat this, not that, Okay. We esteem that. But in their day, in Job's day, not the case. Not the case. In fact, in Job's day, and if you trace this in the scriptures, being fat was a sign of blessing. It was a sign of prosperity. And so when, he's, when it says, uh, what does it say? That I've shriveled me up. He has shriveled me up. My leanness has risen up against me. Um, this is him saying, hey, listen, um, the fact that I'm as skinny as I am now is a sign that God is against me. It's a sign that I'm under the wrath of God, not the prosperity and blessing of God. This is a sign that, that God's not for me. He is against me, which is why he says this in verse 9. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. Could you imagine? Like, Could you imagine being in such agony that you would say these words to the Lord? The Lord has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me, and my adversary sharpens his eye against me. The word adversary there, in week one, we, we said that the word for Satan, it, 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 just, it means the accuser. This word adversary um, is a first cousin to the word um, um, accuser. He's using a mirror image word from the name of Satan, applying it to the Lord now. Let me read you what one commentator has to say about this. Job reached a place 
Job reached a place where he is not thinking of God and Satan in completely separate categories. They are both holistically against him. Chapters 1 and 2, God is for me. Now he is against me. You see, this is where moralism leads. This is where moralism leads. This is where you get what you deserve takes you. If that's the undercurrent in your life, it is the undercurrent in your life, but if that undercurrent is a river, here's what's going to happen. When it's time to suffer, when it's time, when it's time to suffer, that the water of that river is going to carry you to the place where Job is. If it's a stream, you just walk right through it. If it's a trickle, but if it's a river in your life and the water starts to rush, that undercurrent is going to carry you right to where Job is. Let's keep going because it gets worse. Men have gaped at me. Men have gaped at me. It's why, let me put me back up. It, I'm going to say this again in a minute, but I want to say it right now. It's why living a rich, open, honest life, following Jesus in the, in, inside the rich, open community of the church is so important. It's how, it's how the river becomes a stream and how the stream becomes a trickle. If, if you hide, like right now, in, the little, um, um, in the, the little sufferings of your life, and listen, there is major suffering, minor suffering, we'll talk about that one in a minute also. Uh, it, if you, if you have this, the, what, what is actually minor, and maybe it's not the kind of suffering that you think of like, hey, I've got cancer, or I've got this ongoing health issue, or I've lost a child, or a, but it's just, um, hey man, my, like my marriage is just starting to go sideways, and, uh, and I start hiding over here. If you start habitually making a practice out of hiding over here, you're going to hide when it's your turn to suffer. You're going to put a smile on your face and pretend like life is okay because it's what you've discipled yourself into doing. And so when we talk about, listen, be open, be honest, be vulnerable in community in these areas of your life. It is an effort at you discipling yourself and you discipling the community, the community discipling you to be ready to live an open, honest, rich life when actual, deep, ongoing, lasting suffering happens. But if you don't, the trickle becomes a river. All right, now let's keep going. Verse 10. Men have gaped at me. They've gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me, an insolent, struck me insolently on the cheek. They mass themselves together against me. God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me into the hands of the wicked. This is... Um, this is him looking at what's going on in his life and just saying, Lord, you have done this to me and you have publicly shamed me. It, it's Job saying, um, listen, when I'm out in public, not just my friends know what's wrong with me, my enemies know what's wrong with me. Like I, I am humiliated everywhere I go. It would be like if when you walked in the door on a Sunday morning back there, we had a sign for divorced people. They just said, hey, if you're divorced, um, here's the sign that you wear. It's got big, bold letters. Everybody's going to know it'll be good. In fact, we even have special seating for you right here in the front that nobody ever wants to sit in. You should come and sit down here. Um, it's friendly down here. It would be as if you were publicly shamed every time you walked in here. This is what he's, 
This is, this is the heart and posture and state of Job right now. Verse 12, I was at ease, and he broke me apart, and he seized me by the neck and dashed me into pieces. He set me up as his target. His archers surrounded me. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare. He pours out my gall on the ground. I, I think verse 13 is one of the most honest verses in all of the Bible. Um, the kidneys, that was the um, emotional center of humanity. And these archers, these are firing the arrows of God. This is, this is uh, Job saying here, listen, uh, I, I am, uh, God is at war and it's with me. He's firing arrows, they're hitting me, and my emotions are just pouring out, and I'm empty. I have nothing left. Verse 14, he breaks me. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin, and I have laid my strength in the dust. My face is red with weeping, and my eyelids in deep darkness. Although... Although there's no violence in my hands and my prayers are pure. Listen, I, I feel utterly, utterly forsaken by God. I feel as if God has done this. It's his fault. I didn't deserve it. And this is, we, this is why earlier I said to you, hey, listen, I, I'm in, a, in a minute, I want to try to show to you, I want to try and make an effort at proving to you that this moralism, this you get what you deserve, is the ongoing undercurrent in all of our lives. In chapters one, um, well, in chapter one, uh, God describes Job. You guys remember how he described him? Righteous, blameless, fears the Lord. In fact, in fact, there's no one on the earth like him. Now, who in here uh, would be bold enough to say, you know what, if I was alive in the days of Job, the Lord would have said, at least there's two of us. Like, there's another one out there, fears the Lord, none like him, me. Right? No one would say that, right? So, so we'll just call Job but like an all-star in spirituality. And yet, verse 17 is Job saying, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. What did I do? I am innocent. My prayer is pure, Lord. Yes, I believe you get what you deserve, but I'm telling you, I don't deserve this. He is righteous, blameless, no one on the earth that fears the Lord like him, and yet moralism, you get what you deserve, is the ongoing undercurrent in Job's life. Lest you say, I am farther along than Job, it's the undercurrent in your life. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. You get what you deserve, and redemptive suffering are incompatible. All right, if you, get, if you believe, hey, listen, here's how life works. Here's how the world works. You get what you deserve. Then the idea of you being redeemed from and through suffering is incompatible with how you see the world because suffering has to be, it has to be, you being punished for something in your life. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it. You get what you deserve. Redemptive suffering are completely 
incompatible. Moralism has no category for redemptive suffering, but the Bible does. And so let me show you. Verse 18. O earth, O earth, cover my blood. Let my cry find no resting place. This is, this is Job. Let my cry let find no resting place. Listen, let my blood cry out from the earth. Let my blood cry out after my death. And then as you trace it, Job, you can feel the anguish knowing that his blood won't. It won't cry out after his death. But there's one whose blood would. In week one, we said that Job was a foreshadow of the suffering servant in Isaiah, the suffering servant who would talk about Jesus like this, that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. See, here is the gospel in Job. You want to see the gospel in Job? Do you remember um, Eliphaz's question that we read earlier out of chapter four? Do you remember it? Remember who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? Isaiah's answer, you'll see. You'll see he's coming. The righteous one is coming. And when he comes, he's going to go to the cross, and in the cross, he's going to be cut off. You'll see. You'll see he's coming. And when he does, and when he's on the cross, moralism gets exposed for the sham that it is. Because you get what you deserve does not apply to Christ. The sinless man hanging on the cross, getting what you deserve, getting what I deserve, so that we can get what he deserves. This is the great exchange of the cross. He gets sin, we get glory. He gets sin, we get glory. The true righteous sufferer. Which is why, which is why. I've heard it said, it's not the will of God for you to suffer. And I know why we say that. I know why we want to believe that. But it certainly was the will of God for Job and for Jesus. And I can't tell you. I can't tell you that suffering is not in your future. For some of you, it's in your present. you've, You've already blown that myth. But I can't stand here as your pastor as one of your pastors, and tell you it's not the will of God for you to suffer and love you at the same time. I can't tell you that one day real suffering isn't going to come into your life. I'd say what we could do, we, we could build a crowd by saying that. And I know right now uh, in this room there are some of you who want me to say that but I would be an unloving shepherd of God's people to lie to them. So is there anything, uh, is there anything that we can learn from Job about how to suffer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's keep reading. Even now, verse 19 Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. Side note, listen, if you want a fun study, just go study verses 19 through 22. It's this major breach and shift in the mind and heart of Job. We get this glimpse into um, what's to come and what's to come for us and the gospel. And if I had another hour, we could really dive into it, but y'all don't want that either. 
Even now, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies me for me is on high. My friends scorn me. My eye pours out tears to God. That he would argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go away from I shall go the way from which I shall not return. So here's Job. This is the conclusion of chapter 16. Death is coming. I'm, I know. Listen, I, there's going to be a day where I go where I can't, I can't turn back the clock. Like death is on its way. And in the middle of it, he gets this glimpse into the heavens. He gets this prophetic picture, this window into the heavens, and he sees God defending his case against God for him. And in the middle of it, what does he say? I pour out tears to God. I pour out tears. There is an emotional honesty to Job's suffering that is a foretaste and foreshadow of Jesus in the garden where Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Listen, to pour out tears in the middle of your suffering, to, to stop smiling in the middle of your suffering, it, it's not a sign of weakness or that you lack faith. It's Christ-like. Last night I watched um, this 2020 special on, uh, on the... Uh, the Aggie bonfire back uh, in, oh, no, 99, 111899. I remember that from the TV. Uh, 111899. I was in college then. I was, a, uh, I was third year of college, I believe. Uh, I remember when it happened. I, I had friends at A&M. And, uh, and, and last night they were interviewing this mom of a, of a, of a son who died. And it was, uh, it, was, it was really heartbreaking. Uh, they were talking about how in the next 42 hours after the collapse, the son died, and, and then they knew he was going to die, and so the parents went in, and the parents said, hey, listen, you're, um, you're, you're, going, uh, you're, you're not going to make it, son, but you're going to go and be with the Lord. And, uh, and it was just like, man, I looked over, and we didn't have power at my house last night, so we had to go to Deer Park, stay with my family. And so my wife is sitting, and my mom's over there. They're bawling, and I'm you know, I don't know what I was doing, but I just can't, I can't imagine saying that. And then the mom said this one line in there. She said this, um, that there was a moment where we saw tears stream down his eyes, but let me tell you something, those are the only tears we saw. He, he faced it with whatever, with I don't know the words she used. And I just, oh, mom, like, if I could leap through this TV and hug you and hold you, I would, but I wanted to scream, no, no. It's, it's not Christ-like to not cry. Death is coming. It's not, it's not Christ-like to not hurt and not be moved to the point of tears. But here's, here's the opportunity for us. Sojourn, this church, these people that, that we love, that I, I know you love one another, you're growing in love for one another, and if you're new, let me tell you the kind of community we want to be. We believe church as family. We want to be a family of people who love one another, love Jesus, live lives interwoven together. Let me tell you the opportunity for us. Here it is, that we might suffer, that we might pour out tears to God together, and that we might smile together, and we might weep together, that we might not play the religious game, 
that we might not play the game that sits as its undercurrent. You get what you deserve, that we might be willing to look at one another. And in those moments where we feel like, I don't deserve this, why is this happening? That we could cry with one another. That we could hurt with one another. That we might, we might assuage one another's pain together, even in those moments where there are no words that can take the pain away. And so what if, what if you say, hey man, my, my suffering, it's just really minor right now. Like, is it, is it, I mean, like I don't have real suffering going on. Let me, let me tell you some things I've learned the hard way about suffering. There's no such thing as minor suffering when it's happening to you. So when you're sitting with someone, they say, hey, I'm really hurting, this is happening. Um, don't, don't treat them like the third grader who doesn't understand life. There, there is no suffering that's minor when it's happening to you. Let's start there. But then what if, what if, what if the way that we um, engaged one another, even in our minor suffering, was preparation for the day when major suffering hits? What if the way that we um, showed compassion to one another and that we suffered together was communal discipleship, prepping our church for the day when real suffering hits, and if we put down roots of life together long enough, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so what if? What if that's the kind of community we are? What if that's the kind of community that we become? The kind of community where it's okay and safe to pour out tears to God. Where we don't look at one another in what might be minor in the grand scale and scope of things, Treat them like the third grader, but what if we just engaged one another and we let our engagement of one another, our pouring our tears together right now with one another, we let that serve as communal discipleship, preparation for the day when actual major suffering comes. I'm praying that that's us. I'm praying that through this series in Job, that that might be the kind of people we are and the kind of people we become so that we in our suffering might be the glorious apologetic of Jesus that we are meant to be. As he, he is the one that we are expressing his comfort and his sympathy to and through us. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I bless you. And I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for Job at 16. I thank you for passages in the Bible that are incredibly weighty. I thank you that there are times when, as we follow this just full scope of scripture, that there are Days where um, texts don't allow us to be lighthearted. Because there are times when life isn't lighthearted. May we learn from Job and may we learn from Jesus and may we become the kind of people who suffer honestly, who suffer openly, who suffer like Job. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.